0: Great to see you all this morning. It's great to see you here in person. It's good, isn't it, to be God's gathered people together, gathered to his name, in his name, to worship him uh, together. And there's quite a few of the older teenagers here at Regent that are learning to drive at the moment. And if that doesn't terrify you, then nothing will. The thought of Matthew and Alistair and Daniel and Toby being let loose on the road is a truly terrifying concept. And part of the driving test that they will be taking, we didn't have to do it when we, when we did it, but part of the driving test for them is a theory test, which includes questions on road signs that you see as you drive around. Came across some interesting road signs this week. This was a great one. Is there life after death? Trespass here and you will find out. It's brilliant. Love that one. Like this one. Accidents are prohibited on this road. Is, it, is that just me? Or? And then there's this one. It's got to be our local council somewhere coming up with that. This is a great one, men working, prepare to be annoyed. One of the recent developments in motorway management so-called is the uh, live messages that appear up on the overhead gantries as you drive down the motorways and uh, here's a classic one here and I don't have to drive on motorways thank goodness very often But whenever I do, I get so annoyed with these overhead signs because they are nearly always wrong. They are completely and utterly inaccurate and utterly pointless. This picture is a classic. It tells you to slow down because there's an obstruction ahead. And so everybody slows down to 40 and you get massive tailbacks and then you drive on. There's no sign of any obstruction. There just isn't anything there. And presumably somebody forgot to turn the sign off or was just having a bit of a laugh, I I don't know. But in the vast majority of cases that I've found, maybe you found something different, but the signs are inaccurate, the signs are wrong. And as a result, they end up causing massive delays, the very thing that they're supposed to prevent. They are warning signs that are unreliable. just can't trust them we were traveling to London a few years ago and again the sign up came up saying um, the the road was shut ahead so it suggested coming off and taking a diversion so we did that and then when we got to our destination I kind of checked it out and discovered the road hadn't been shut at all because other people on the same road had driven straight through they're they're just unreliable they're counterproductive and we need to be able to trust warning signs don't we if we're going to follow the warnings we need to be able to know that they are reliable that they are trustworthy we're continuing to work our way through uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy in the New Testament of the Bible and we've reached the point where Paul issues Timothy and the church in Ephesus and therefore us here today he issues them and us today with a warning but it's a warning that he stresses is reliable he says it's a trustworthy saying a statement that we need to take notice of because it's true and therefore it's incredibly important. Now you should have an outline on your chair and if you're at home that's been sent out to you too so if you want to make use of that you can all the verses will be up on the screen. Paul has been trying to encourage and prepare Timothy because Timothy is feeling isolated, he's feeling vulnerable and a bit overwhelmed by the circumstances that he's found himself in and and the challenges that he's facing And so Paul makes this statement, this trustworthy saying, which is both a promise and a warning of what lies ahead on the journey that Timothy is on. But it's an encouragement, but it's also a caution, an encouragement and a caution. And remember, don't forget, Paul writes these words as he himself is chained up in a prison cell, awaiting execution for being a Christian. So we're going to read this important statement, this, this trustworthy saying. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's verses 11 to 7, uh, 11 to 13, but I'm going to read from verse 8, just for the sake of context. Uh, Paul helpfully looked at this last week for us, um, so we're going to read from verse 8 and down to the end of verse 13. So Paul says this, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Paul starts by saying, here is a trustworthy saying. This is a trustworthy saying. In other words, what I'm about to say to you is really important. So listen up, take notice of what I'm saying, Timothy, and us today. Paul's trustworthy statements contains four points, which each contain two sub points. And each one is packed full of truths that we need to look at this morning. So firstly, Paul says this, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Now, the Bible teaches that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, in who he is and in what he's done for us, then we are linking ourselves with Jesus. And as we do so, we receive by faith the benefits of what Jesus accomplished through his sinless life, his sacrificial death and his death defeating resurrection. It's like kind of like putting a plug into a socket and flicking the switch and the electricity flows and brings the electrical device to life as the electricity flows. When we put our faith and our trust in who Jesus is and what he's done, God gives us the achievements of Jesus. Jesus' achievements flow to us like electricity when we link ourselves through faith to him. See, Jesus was sinless. The righteous one, and when we put our faith in him, God applies the sinlessness of Jesus to our lives. He thinks of, he views us then as being sinless. Jesus died as a sacrifice in our place on the cross and took the punishment there for our sin. And so when we put our faith in him, God views us then as having died with Jesus. And because of that, all our sins, our mistakes, our failures, our rebellion against God, past, present, and future, it has all been dealt with by Jesus there on the cross because we died with him. So by choosing to put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we have died with him and our old life is over and we have a brand new life. We've died with him and we will also live with him, says Paul. Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death and when we put our faith in Jesus, God views us as no longer being spiritually dead. And he gives us the eternal life that begins right now in Jesus. But dying with Jesus and living with Jesus doesn't just affect how God views us, and it doesn't just affect our eternal destiny. It should also affect how we live and how we function and behave right now, here in our lives, right at this moment. Paul expands on this in great detail, which we haven't got time to look at this morning in Romans 6. Romans 6 is uh, written out in your outline for you if you want to have a look at it. But Paul effectively says in Romans 6, in the first few verses, he says, because you've died in Christ and with Christ, and you are now alive in Christ, you should no longer live the way you once did. God has given you a brand new identity. Your old life is dead, and now you have a, a new life in Jesus. You're no longer the person that you used to be. That old life of sin, of being a slave to sin, of being an object of God's wrath, of being separated from God, of having no peace, of living in fear, especially the fear of death. That old life is dead, says Paul. That old life is gone. It's finished because you've died with Christ. And now you have a new life in Jesus. Now you're set free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin and the result of sin. You're an object now of God's grace. You're an object of his mercy. You've got peace with God. You've got an eternity with Jesus to look forward to. So it's true, or if it's true, that if we have a new identity through trusting in Jesus, it's also true that our behavior and our lifestyle should now match up with that new identity. Our behavior needs to follow on from what our identity is. We have died with Christ and we are now living a new life in Jesus So write this down. We have to make that daily choice to live by our new identity and not our old identity. Every day as a follower of Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, we have to make that daily choice to live by that new identity that we have in Jesus. A lot dead to our old life and living a brand new life and not live by that old identity. Bible says I've died. So I need to make that daily choice to live a life that's dead to sin and dead to self to make that daily choice to believe the truth about my new identity and allow that truth to then inform and drive how I live and behave and any power that sin has and self has in my life or in your life only exists now because we give it the power to do so because according to the bible when we trusted in Jesus we died to sin so how can we live in it any longer Paul says in Romans 6. So Paul was saying to Timothy, was saying to the folks there in Ephesus, and he's saying to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit, your old life is dead. You have a brand new life in Jesus if you've put your faith in him. And so live by that new identity. Don't live by your old identity. Live by that brand new identity that you have in and through Jesus. Then Paul says this in his trustworthy saying, he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Now, this verse contains a promise and a warning the promise is that if we endure to the end we will then spend eternity with jesus and we'll be ruling with him and reigning with him over the new heavens and the new earth that he is going to create and that is a phenomenal amazing promise isn't it to look forward to to have there for us not content with forgiving our sins giving us a relationship with himself and giving us eternal life if we've trusted in jesus then we will reign with him for all eternity it's phenomenal And Paul says something similar in Colossians 3. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we have got this phenomenal future to look forward to where we will share in the glory of Jesus and where we will rule and reign with him. But there's also a warning in this phrase. It's only those who endure to the end. will spend eternity with jesus and reign with him and share in his glory paul has already said a lot hasn't he in in second timothy about the importance of endurance about the importance of keeping on going of uh, keeping on going as followers of jesus not only is our life meant to look different right now as we live by that new identity but it will only have true and eternal value and meaning if paul says if we keep going to the end if we endure to the end it's only those who endure or keep going and keep on living for Jesus and trusting Jesus that will also then reign with him in eternity Paul says here Jesus himself says the same thing in Matthew ten twenty-two. he says you will be hated by everyone because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved those that stand firm to the end of their lives those who endure despite the opposition that they will face they are the ones who will be saved says Jesus and says Paul as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we will face all kinds of opposition and challenges and trials and temptations. Jesus doesn't exactly sell the Christian life, does not he? He doesn't say, this is going to be a, you know, a real walk in the path. You will be hated by everyone because of me, says Jesus. It's not a, great, not a double glazing salesman pitch, is it? This is going to be difficult, says Jesus. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And we will face challenges and trials and temptations. And that was what Paul was trying to prepare Timothy and us today for and to help us with. There is a great and a fantastic and a phenomenal future ahead of us. If we've trusted in Jesus, it's kind of like driving up the A1 from London and you begin to see those signs for Newcastle. What a glorious future awaits us as we drive up there. My, my grandfather used to say the only good thing to come out of London was the Newcastle train. And not, not, not too far wrong there, apart from my wife, obviously, and a few other people who were in the room. But joking aside, if we, st- if we don't stay on the A1 and finish that journey, we'll never get to the glorious city that is Newcastle. We might end up in Sunderland. What a nightmare that would be. And, and, and this introduces something to us, a, a concept called the Doctrine of Perseverance. The doctrine of perseverance. What is the doctrine of perseverance? Well, here's a definition for you. The doctrine of perseverance means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. Let me read that to you again. The doctrine of perseverance means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. So not everyone that professes faith in Jesus will be genuine or real. There will be people who will profess that they've put their faith in Jesus. They might go to church. They might have said a prayer. They may have been sincere and meant it at at the time in their understanding of that. They might get involved in church. They might get baptized. They might be serving in church, might be there for many years. And yet, in some cases, it's possible that they will never have been truly born again. They've never genuinely trusted in Jesus. See, there is a difference between sometimes, for instance, you know, praying a prayer. And and, and there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, if you want to pray a prayer with me now of repentance and faith in Jesus, nothing wrong with doing that. But those words are not magic in themselves. There has to be something more than just reciting words. It has to speak of a real change in our lives. And so sometimes people will recite a prayer, but there's never really been that true change in their lives. Sadly, some people will profess to be Christians and know they're not believers and will come in and cause damage in churches. So there's a big difference between intellectually agreeing with the christian faith and, and the claims of jesus there's a big difference between that and maybe yeah I, I, I agree with this i like this i'm i'm i get all this and i agree and i i shake my head and acknowledge and acknowledge this but there's a difference between that and actually genuinely putting our faith and trust in jesus the holy spirit bringing us to new life and putting our faith and trust in him Some people intellectually agree with the message of the Bible. They might even believe it's true and they might be heavily involved in a church, but it is sadly the case that sometimes there will be people like that who've never actually put their faith genuinely in Jesus. They've never been born again. And then when they're faced with a challenge in their life, it might be a health problem. It might be a relationship problem. It might be a temptation to live a different way or a different lifestyle. what the bible teaches it might be a financial problem or it might be persecution as jesus and paul talk about here that challenge and trial and test reveals then the reality of whether they've really uh or, or where they really stand with jesus and if they've not genuinely trusted in jesus then they'll fall away they'll stop running that race those that, who have genuinely trusted in Jesus, on the other hand, they will persevere, they will endure, they will keep going, even if they only just make it by the kind of, you know, every effort in them. The Apostle Peter says the same thing in his first letter, and I'm quoting from the New Living Translation, which puts this really lovely for us. Peter says this, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire, tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Of course, these trials may show that your faith is not genuine, is of course the point. So why is Paul writing this to Timothy? Why does Peter say this, for instance? Well, even though he knows Timothy really well, he wants Timothy to make absolutely sure that he really is born again, that he really is trusting in Jesus. And he wants Timothy to take that same challenge to the folks in the church there in Ephesus. And the Holy Spirit wants to take that challenge to us today, wherever we are, whoever we are this morning. I might know some of you really, really well, but I don't really know you. I don't really know the state of your heart. The only person who really knows your heart this morning is God. So here's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Am I really born again? Am I genuinely trusting in Jesus? This is particularly a question that those who grow up in Christian families and are brought up attending church need to ask themselves because it's so easy, isn't it, sometimes to kind of go along with things and think we're, we're a Christian and sometimes we're not. I, I know of a number of people who were baptized and in church and doing stuff and then realized wonder, you know what, I've never actually been saved. I've just grown up in this and never really taken this for myself. So that's a challenge for each of us. It's a question that we should all ask regardless of the way in which we find ourselves here in church today. Here at Regent, we believe in the eternal security of the believer. It's in our statement of faith. And that means that we believe we can't lose our salvation. We believe that because it's biblical, but it's important that we understand that it's only those who've genuinely become believers in Jesus that can't lose their salvation. And it's the challenges and the trials and the temptations of life that we will all face that then reveal whether we have genuinely become a follower of Jesus. Paul then continues with this faithful saying, with this trustworthy saying, he says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. The the alternative to perseverance and enduring is betrayal and rejection. If a person professes faith in Jesus, but then by their subsequent behavior and actions, perhaps years down the road, disowns Jesus. Then Jesus says he will disown them before they stand before him and face him uh, on that final day. The Bible says that God knows and keeps his own. He knows who are his own, those who have truly trusted in Jesus. In verse 19 of 2 Timothy 2, which we're gonna look at in, I think, two weeks time, Paul says this, the Lord knows who, those who are his. The Lord knows who are, those who are his. It's not a mystery to the Lord. I might not know where you stand truly, but the Lord does. He knows who are his. And we read over and over again in the Bible that those who belong to the Lord are his, they are safe, and they are secure for all eternity. But those who show by their beliefs and their actions that Christ is not their Lord, obviously cannot expect God's approval and acceptance in this world or in eternity. Jesus says these words in Matthew ten thirty three. but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven it's really serious words isn't it this is true for everybody whoever rejects Jesus will in turn be rejected by Jesus but Paul here is specifically thinking of those who professed faith in Jesus but then at some subsequent point turn away and by their lifestyle show that they're no longer uh, following Jesus as they face the challenges of life it might be a problem with their health might be financial problems or a temptation to live in a way contrary to that which the Bible teaches These challenges and these trials reveal the the genuineness of a person's faith or otherwise. And when faced with that choice, sadly, some will choose to disown Jesus and walk away from God. It's what we sometimes call the sin of apostasy. It's when a person abandons or renounces their Christian belief or perhaps key elements of their Christian faith. And so Paul says those who disown Jesus will in turn be disowned by him, This is really serious stuff. Jesus says something similar in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So church attendance, church activities, even doing supernatural things in the name of Jesus None of this is actually a guarantee of saving faith in Christ. According to Jesus here, the mark of a genuine believer is the one who does the will of the Father and continues to do that and endures to the end. Are they enduring? Are they persevering and continuing in their Christian faith? Paul continues with this trustworthy saying, and he ends it with these words. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What does Paul mean? Well, firstly, when Paul talks about being faithless, he's not talking about a Christian lacking in faith or having doubts. That is a normal part of being a Christian. All true believers in Jesus will sometimes have doubts, will lack faith, will let God down, will mess up. That's why we need and rely on God's grace. We're saved by his grace, not by what we do, not by our works. The word faithless here is translated from the Greek word apostio, which means to be actively unbelieving. Okay, it's about actively unbelieving. So this is someone, again, who's chosen to turn their back on Jesus. It's not just someone who's having a few doubts. It's not someone who's having a bad week or who's let God down, who's made a mess of things. What Paul's talking about here is someone who is actively unbelieving. And when that happens, God will remain faithful to himself and to who he is because he cannot disown himself. And therefore, God will disown that person. This verse doesn't mean that if we are faithless, God will remain faithful to us. That's not what it's saying. What it means is that if a person turns their back on Jesus and is actively unbelieving, faithless, then God has to be true to himself. The person hasn't been true to themselves, but God has to be true to himself. And the consequences of that will mean that God will then disown and reject that person. So this is serious stuff. Why is Paul writing this? What was Timothy meant to do about it? What are we meant to do about it today? Well, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Wouldn't it be tragic if you thought you were a Christian, but you really weren't? How do you find out? Can we be sure? Well, Paul says, examine and test yourself. How do we examine and test ourselves? Well, here's three helpful questions to ask ourselves. Number one, am I actively trusting in Jesus for salvation? Think that through. Look at it. Look at your life. Am I actively trusting in Jesus for salvation? Secondly, is there evidence of a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in my heart? In other words, have I really changed? Not am I perfect, but have I really changed? Am I a different person to the one I used to be? And thirdly, do I see a long-term pattern of growth? Is my life, it's going to be a bit like this. It's going to be up and down, some really big downs and some ups. But is there, is it upwards and to the right? Is there long-term evidence of growth in my Christian life? There's three really good questions to ask ourselves. And if upon examining yourself, you discover that you've never really trusted in Jesus, then what should you do? Well, repent and turn to Jesus in faith and put your faith and trust in him and give your life to him. Simple as that. If that's where you're at this morning, repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus so that you really are born again. If upon examining yourself, it confirms that Christ Jesus is in you, then that's fantastic, because that means that you can celebrate the promises that God has made to you. The promise in this trustworthy saying that we've died in Christ, we're alive in Christ, and we will reign with Christ in eternity. The Apostle John writes these words in 1 John 5, 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. So this isn't something, oh, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? How can I ever know? We can know. And these three questions are helpful ways of just kind of examining that. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Are you actively living for God, actively trusting in God, doing the will of the Father? then we can know that we have eternal life. This trustworthy saying of Paul's to Timothy and to us today is not meant to frighten or unsettle us, those of us who believe in Jesus. Instead, it's meant to reassure us, we know we have eternal life. And if we know we have eternal life by examining and testing ourselves, then we have these amazing promises of what God has done for us and what God is still to do for us in eternity. But if by examining and testing ourselves, we discover that we're not truly trusting in Jesus, never really truly understood what it meant to to bow the knee and and repent and put our faith in Jesus. Then can I challenge you, if that is you this morning, to repent and trust in Jesus this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for this trustworthy saying. We thank you for the the promises that we have in Jesus. But we confess too, and we acknowledge that there are warnings in this passage. And so pray this morning, Father, that each of us, each one of us would examine ourselves and test ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith. Is Christ Jesus truly in us? And Father, if that is the case, then we celebrate the fact that we have you living in us through the power of your spirit. But I do pray this morning, Father, for anyone who would find themselves in that position where they they realize that they've never truly trusted in you. May this morning they repent and put their faith in Jesus, I pray. Father, we worship you this morning. We thank you for these phenomenal promises and guarantees of salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship you for him this morning, and we just want to praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.